Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. I apologize for my voice today. I'm, I'm a little concerned about it holding out through the teaching today. I'm really concerned because I've got to coach a couple of basketball games this afternoon, and they don't give me a microphone for that. I'm really concerned about my voice holding out for that. Although the team, uh, the team did go, uh, they were ahead 37 to 9 at halftime in this morning's game, so maybe I should just stay away. They might play better without me. Um, anyhow, sorry. <laughs> You're right. That's not true. That was a very self-deprecating joke. You all know it's not true. That's why you laughed. Yeah. Just you wait, guys. As soon as I get there. Oh, man. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of our missionary friends, uh, Rogers Audi, was here sharing about his ministry. And, um, and then I turned him loose after, remember, I kind of sat and interviewed him, asking him questions about Ambassadors of Hope in Kenya. And then I also told him, hey, I, I just want you, you know, you're traveling all this way. I just want you to share whatever the Lord might put on your heart for us. And so we turned him loose for about 10 minutes, which turned into about 25 minutes of him just giving us a word of encouragement. And does anyone remember what the word of encouragement was? Actually, what? Oh, good. I'm so glad somebody got it. Prayer. He really felt like the Lord was telling him to tell us, hey, Renewal City Church, it's time to get serious about prayer. Um, and, and that was the word he, he shared with us. And I know for me, uh, because I don't get too many opportunities to sit in a chair and listen to somebody else speak from the stage, I've really received it as God's word to us. Um, one, because I trust that Roger's prayerfully prepared for that message and that he has the spirit of God dwelling in him. And when he shares a word from the Lord to his church family, I think that has value, just like I think it would have value any of you sharing a word as well. Um, but two, because it really, it harmonized really well with a lot of what I felt like God's been speaking to me personally anyways. This idea where I, I feel a desire in my heart to connect with God uh, more deeply. I, I feel a desire in my heart to, um, especially in my prayer life, to to really seek uh, a stronger and, and more intimate and and um, and more real experience of the reality that God is with me all the time. Um, I just want to be near Him, and and I know um, I really believe that as I have this desire in myself to have this lived experience with God being more present in my life, I really believe that's not just for me. That as I feel God calling me into that, I, I believe too that He's calling us together as a church family into a new living experience of God being present in our lives and, and very, very near. Um, one, because this is uh, the reality that Scripture paints for us, especially in the New Testament. There's so much encouragement to Christians to, to be living in the Spirit or walking with Christ or be found in Christ. And I think so often for us in, in the busyness of life in a modern age, which is a great excuse, but I'd imagine Christians have struggled for generations with this, but it's difficult for us to 
to not be sucked into the reality of a fallen world and a broken world and the busyness of the world and somehow to be living life as if God were not here with us all the time. Um, so today I want to pick up our teaching from John chapter 6 as we continue to uh, just look at the story of Jesus and how he interacted with people when he was here on earth and especially how he lived out the ideal life for us to follow, uh, particularly in his connection to God. I think one of the most powerful elements of the Christian story is that God came to earth. You know, the one who's clothed in divine light and was there from the beginning of time, took on flesh and came to earth. Uh, this is the truth we celebrate at Christmas time. Um, to be a newborn baby and to live life the way that that we are all stuck living life. Uh, he offered to humanity this this opportunity for us to connect with God in a, in a, in a human form. And, and for many, many humans, especially those who lived in Jesus' time and got to be around him, they got to have the lived experience of God being right there in their midst and seeing him. Uh, last week in John chapter 6, we talked about how the people of Israel got to experience the, the reality of God being present, uh, especially through the miracle of the multiplying the loaves and the fishes and the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and at the end of that story in verse 14, where we're going to pick it up today, it says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And we read that verse last week, and I, I pointed out that the miracle was meant to reveal Jesus to the people. The point wasn't just to fill bellies, but for the people to have a greater revelation of who Jesus is, a greater revelation of, of who this one is that the world has been waiting for. Um, so God reveals himself to the people. Jesus reveals himself through the loaves and the fishes, and we believe throughout human history God's been revealing himself to people. And then what people do with that revelation is, is totally and entirely up to them. What people do with the revelation that God gives them is totally up to them. Uh, when people hear the truth of God or when they receive the message of God, they have an opportunity to respond to that. And we have an opportunity to respond to it today. And, and I think especially in light of this truth that God's revealing himself all the time and we as people are on the hook to respond however we will. I'm reminded of, of uh, the author of James in, in chapter 1 says to the people, Hey, let's not just be hearers of the word, but let's be doers of the word. Let's be people who are changed and our actions are changed by the revelation that God brings to us. So in this case, the people begin to say to one another, maybe Jesus is the prophet we've been waiting for. Maybe he's the one that our, our people have been waiting for for generations. This is the Messiah. This, could, could this be the anointed one who's come to lead the people of Israel into their glorious future? And and so they begin to realize that and wonder about that. And then they respond to that truth by doing something kind of interesting. In verse 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the people of Israel that Jesus has just fed begin to realize who he is. And they decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take this one who's come. He's the prophet. He's the Messiah. And we're going to make him king by force. We have to understand a little bit about 
where the people are living so that we can maybe understand a little bit of their motivation behind this. They've been living under this brutal Roman rule for a few generations now. They've been waiting for a Messiah to come who they believe is going to deliver them from the Romans. They really think that their problem is that they've been subjected to the wrong rulers. The people that they wish were ruling over them themselves aren't, and their problem in the world is that they need someone to deliver them from these rulers and have a new one. And they're, and they're saying to themselves, hey, look, if we can just identify who the ruler is that we need to have over us, then we are willing to do anything to make sure that we have the right ruler over us, someone other than these Romans. So Jesus comes, they begin to believe, hey, maybe this is the guy that should be leading us. They want to make him king by force. What does Jesus do? Jesus withdraws to a mountain alone. Anyone who's read their Bible might be able to tell us, what happens when someone goes up on a mountain by themselves? Why do people do that in the story of Scripture? Who's on top of the mountain? Why are they going up there? God, right? When people in Scripture, when someone goes up a mountain by themselves, they're going up there to meet with God. Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. Elijah goes up the mountain to meet with God. There are, this, is what, this is what people do when they want to meet with God. They go up the mountain by themselves. John says it like this on purpose. The people wanted to make him king, but instead of going with the crowd and allowing them to force him to become king, Jesus goes a different path. He goes up the mountain by himself to meet with God. And the author of this gospel is doing that on purpose because he's pointing out right away. Jesus is like those other people who went up the mountain to meet with God. The people say, oh, maybe he's the prophet. And then the author of John says, look, he's just like the prophet going up the mountain to meet with God. He's just like Moses. He's just like Elijah. Now, last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, I'm sorry. But it was kind of important. Last week, before Jesus fed the 5,000, he had gone off into the wilderness by himself for one purpose. And what was that? To meet with God. Jesus, the whole reason he got into this mess is because he's trying to get away to meet with God. And, and the story went, uh, Jesus gets news that his friend John the Baptist has been murdered. He's brokenhearted over this. He's worn out, and he's just trying to get away for a little bit of time with God. But the people are following him, and, uh, and they, the crowd keeps following him. He can't get away from them. And then the crowd is hungry, and he's moved by compassion for the people. And so he stops, he teaches, and then he multiplies the loaves and fishes, and he feeds them. But now it's still time to get away. He still has this hunger in his soul to get away and to meet with God. He's still craving time with the Father, time away from the busyness of ministry, time away from all the needs, time away from performing the miracles. All of that is not enough to fill the hunger in his soul. And he's looking at this opportunity for the people to come and make him king, and he knows that's not going to fill the longing in his soul. And so he goes up the mountain by himself to meet with God. Jesus had a hunger in his soul, and every human being that has ever lived has hunger in their soul. We all know hunger. Some of us maybe are more in touch with it than others. But I think so often we misidentify the appetites that we really have. 
if you've ever had small children in your home that you're responsible to care for, you've seen them misidentify a hunger in their own heart. Maybe it's a thirst. Maybe they're thirsty and, and they want something sweet and sugary to drink because they're thirsty. And like any good parent, you offer them Mountain Dew, which is loaded with caffeine and sugar. And they would just be thrilled if that were the case, right? Oh, man, this is the best. But the reality is Mountain Dew is a diuretic, right? It's got caffeine. It's got sugar in it. It's going to leave your body physically more dehydrated after the fact than you were before you ever drank it. So often we do this too. We misidentify a hunger or we misidentify the thing that will actually fill us up. One popular thing that people do in our society to unwind at the end of a day is to spend some time on screen time. Maybe they're watching, binge watching a show on Netflix. Maybe they're scrolling through um, social media. I was reading an article on, on psychology today this week that was talking about uh, the fact that screen time produces anxiety in people. And so you get to the end of a long day, you're maybe feeling anxious or, or wound up or stressed about things that have gone on, and you say to yourself, I just need to unwind. I'm just going to pull out my phone, and I'm going to exercise my thumb a little bit. And when this thumb gets tired, I'll switch hands, and I'll exercise the other thumb a little bit. And it does have, it does have this sedative effect on you. And then we know, too, if you know anything about the designing of this technology, you know that social scientists, someone paid them a lot of money to tell the, the companies which, what is the best way to set this up so that people will be addicted to it. And did you know that this is far more addictive than uh, any other motion that you could do with your hand? This is the one that gets you for some reason. It's probably because we have thumbs. God just wired us to enjoy having thumbs. Anyhow, it has a sedative effect. It has this addictive effect. But then the reality of it is, after you finish, your anxiety is actually going to be amped up even more. And then they've actually done studies where they've seen that people begin to feel withdrawal effects if they aren't getting on their social media or spending time on screens. And, they're, and they just want to get hooked back into it. Um, this is really creating a big problem for us. Because it's not as if there weren't enough things in our society for us to be addicted to already, Right? It's not as if there weren't enough things for us to feed the hunger in our soul that were already, uh, you know, akin to junk food. And now we just have something else. I do wonder if there's any wisdom in the Apostle Paul's words to the Philippian church from Philippians chapter 4. He said to them, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So you get to the end of a day, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling anxious, and you feel your body just jonesing for some screen time. And this is when you're faced with a choice. All right. I know, you know, the Mountain Dew commercial has preached to me that this is what is going to satisfy my hunger. And maybe I've even had practices and habits in my own life that have sort of reinforced an addiction to certain things. And yet, Scripture says, don't be anxious. Don't be stressed about these things. Instead, pray. 
And the results of that is then you'll experience God's peace. I know that any of you who have ever experienced God's peace, particularly the peace that we find when we're in the presence of God, you would testify. There's nothing better than that. No sedative effect of anything is a, is a replacement for that kind of peace. But sometimes that kind of peace doesn't come easy. It's sort of like eating oat bran, right? I mean, why would anyone do this unless it was really, really good for you? I don't eat oat bran, by the way. Although we have these pancakes. Laura got this mix from Costco that's like healthy pancakes, right? And, uh, and, but none of the kids like them. <laughs> And so, so I've been powering through these pancakes because, you know, it's from Costco, which means we spend a lot of money on it and we've got like a giant tub of it. And, uh, and so I'll make the batter for the kids with like the crusties and then I'm making the other batter for myself. And my son Brody started calling them brand cakes. He's so clever. Are you going to make yourself some brand cakes? Yes. Yes, I am. Won't I be feeling good today? Um, anyhow. You're going to have moments in your life when you have an app, when you feel thirst, when you have hunger, when, when you know like this is not right. You're going to feel the anxiety of something's not right in my life or there's potential for something to not be right. I need something to fill me up. I want to encourage you. When you feel that, go to God, connect to God in prayer. If you need to get away, figure out a way to get away, to go up the mountain, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I would, but going up the mountain takes time. Connecting with God takes time, and I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to pray. And sometimes I pray, and it doesn't help. It doesn't work. I don't feel that connection anyways. And I'm worried that if I carve time out to pray, I won't have time for other things, like sleep or Netflix or social media. I just won't have time for it. This is one of those moments where we have to decide, do we want to live our life as if Scripture is true and as if it really holds truth that we can build our lives on? Or do we want to lean on our own understanding and our own ways and maybe whatever's worked for us? I really want to tell you prayer is worth it. Even if it means that you end up missing the boat. If somehow you miss out on something else because you were praying too hard. It's worth it. In fact, it's not just worth it, but I think at times it's really necessary it's necessary if you're going to have the kind of lived experience of God being present and real that you were designed to have, that you were created for. Interestingly, in the next part of the story, Jesus ends up missing the boat because he was praying. Verse 16, evening came. So Jesus is up the mountain praying. Evening comes, his disciples go down to the lake. They get into a boat and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. And Jesus had not yet joined him. I read this story and I'm thinking to myself, who decided? We got to leave without Jesus. Like which disciple makes the call? They're all standing around the boat looking at each other, looking at the watch, looking up the mountain where he went. Like, oh man, it's getting late. We're supposed to be in Capernaum. I don't know why, but they are. And finally they're like, okay, we just got to go. Take the boat. Jesus isn't here yet. I know, take the boat anyways. I, we got to go. I imagine Jesus maybe said, hey, I'm going to go up the mountain and pray. Uh, tell the people I went that way so they don't find me. And then, you know, if it gets past nine, just take the boat without me. I'll catch up later. But they leave without him. 
I was thinking about that. When is the last time that I missed a boat, that I missed something because I was praying? And I had this desire in my heart going, man, I would love to have like a super holy excuse. Like I would love to show up late to something and be like, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was praying on the mountaintop and I just couldn't get away. I mean, who's going to be mad at me for that, right? Maybe I should lie and say that if I'm running late. Sorry, I'm running late. I was praying this morning. Um, Anyhow, they set set off across the lake. It's late. It's dark. Uh, Off they go. Of course, as you're reading the story, you're like, oh, it's late. It's dark. They set out across the lake. I wonder what's going to happen, right? Verse 18, a strong wind starts blowing. The waters grow rough. And if you're familiar with the stories of Jesus and the Gospels and the disciples in boats, like, you knew this was going to happen, right? Every time those guys sit out in a boat, there's a storm. Like, no wonder the Israelites were terrified of the sea. Um, And at this point, you're like, yeah, Jesus knew what he was doing, right? Like, yeah, you guys take off on the boat. I'll be here praying. Good luck. Um, Anyhow, verse 19, they'd rode three or four miles in treacherous water. Oh, my goodness. They saw Jesus approaching the boat. He was walking on the water, and they were frightened. There's so many parts of that we could just skip over, right? I mean, they rode three or four miles. That's a long ways. It's stormy water. They rode three or four miles in stormy water. Then Jesus comes walking on the sea, and they're frightened. Why are they frightened? Well, because people don't do that. People don't walk on water. So remember the, the story arc here, right? We start off, Jesus is saddened, heartbroken by the loss of his friend. He's trying to get away with God. He's intent on getting away to the Father. That doesn't happen. He ends up doing the miracles. He ends up doing the thing, ministering to the people, and then he's still wanting to get away with the Father. He flees the opportunity to be made king. He gets away and prays. He ends up missing the boat because he's praying too long. And then he ends up defying the laws of physics and walking across the water, going out for a leisurely stroll in the middle of a stormy sea. I just, what is that like? What's it like to walk on water? I mean, is it, is it like ice? Is it slippery like ice? If so, the waves become really concerning. Is it soft like grass? I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you, did he have to run up and down the waves or hurdle them? Or did they just sort of, did the calm water just sort of part and the waves were happening around him? And there he goes. I mean, I don't know because no one's ever done this, right? I've never seen it. Nobody knows. I mean, this one time in all of human history, somebody walked on water. For the rest of us and for the rest of time, this just doesn't happen. But I began to think about the fact that this doesn't happen and this wouldn't have happened If he hadn't taken the time to pray, if he hadn't taken the time to pray, he'd have made the boat. He'd have been sitting in the boat like everyone else. Maybe he'd have calmed the storms when it came up, but he wouldn't have walked on water if he hadn't taken the time to pray. The disciples see him walking on the water and they're terrified because no one does this. This isn't what they're expecting. Even though they know Jesus, they've been with him. They've seen him do crazy stuff. When they see this, him walking on water, they're shocked by it. He says to them, it's me. Don't be afraid. So they're willing to take him into the boat. If you've read the other Gospels, you know Peter did a little test first. Well, if it's really you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. So Peter gets out and he walks on water too. Um, John's record says they're willing to take him in the boat. 
And then immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I don't know if that word immediately is meant to conjure up images of a speedboat in our minds, but this is, this is what it does for me, right? Um, I'm imagining a speedboat before there were ever speedboats. So the storm's happening, Jesus walks in the water, he gets in the boat, and then zoom, they get across to Capernaum. Another miracle happening. Another thing happening that would not have happened if Jesus had not taken time to pray. Because it would have just been another boat ride like anything else. This has me wondering, how might our lives be different if we'll take time to linger in God's presence long enough to maybe miss something else? Long enough to, um, to have to have our day go differently because we took time to meet with God. You know, it's Jesus' prayer time that set up this miracle of walking on water. And, and there's probably not a lot of stories about Jesus that are more famous or more memorable or demonstrate to us that he is God by walking on water. I mean, than him walking on water. I really think that, that it wasn't just that the prayer time made it necessary for Jesus to walk on water because he missed the boat. But I think that something happened in that prayer time in his connection with the Father. There's some kind of renewed, inspiring connection with God that happened for Jesus there. I'm imagining he goes up on the mountain, he's praying, God's meeting him in a powerful way. He's feeling God's presence, he's sensing the face of God shining on him. He feels the, the spirit of God just filling him up. And he walks down to the shore, intent maybe on walking around it. And then he thinks to himself, hmm, you know what? Shortcut. And he just steps out on the water and starts to walk. I really think that Jesus' lived experience of, of being a human like us worked a lot like that. I think a lot of us think of him as like walking around like the all-knowing mind that's never challenged or inspired by anything because he already knows everything. But I really think that's a, a mischaracterization of his experience as a human being. I imagine him stepping out on the water and he's like, sweet this is incredible. Oh my, oh myself. I can't believe this is happening. Right. And there he goes. And I really think that if we follow his example, if we live the life that he lived, if we find a way to break away and spend too long praying, I think we'll have experiences too, where we're like, oh my gosh, this is sweet. I never imagined this is happening. I think we're kidding ourselves. If we think we can live that kind of a life, on some kind of 21st century microwave Christianity. Like, it's just not how things work. I want to live like Jesus. I want to get serious about prayer. I think this is a great season to do that. So I have a couple of suggestions for you uh, going into the Advent season. Things I want to just encourage you to try out over the next, uh, you know, four weeks of Advent, which starts next Sunday. So you have a whole week to ponder these things and decide whether you want to commit to them or not. One is our Advent devotional. Uh, for the last two or three years, we've sent out uh, a daily Advent devotional. And so we have people in the congregation working on that right now. Um, I've emailed a number of people asking for a two to four minute audio clip. They read a passage of scripture. They share a little bit of themselves and their reflections on it. And then that's that. And we'll set it up where it'll come. A link to it will come right to your phone every morning. 
Um, we'll have a sign up for that in the newsletter this week. Make a note of that. Jess, got it. All right, thanks. Um, we'll get the sign-ups out for that. And then those of you who are supposed to be sending in recordings, I think our calendar is about halfway filled. Someone asked if the deadline, you know, they remarked the deadline already passed. Deadlines are more like suggestions at renewal. So uh, until it's filled, please uh, get back to me. Let me know that you are taking a week. But um, it's a great way to start your day. Hearing from a brother or sister in the church, uh, hearing their perspective on a passage of scripture, stopping to just spend a little bit of time meditating and listening yourself. Uh, the other thing that I want to encourage you to do is, uh, is uh, it's, I'm calling it midday prayers. I say I'm calling it midday prayers. Christians have called it midday prayers for, you know, 2,000 years. Many of you know that I've been experiencing with different prayer strategies for the last year or so. And one of those is holding to midday prayers. So every day I'm trying to pause sometime between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. to pray in the middle of the day. Um, I want to encourage us all to maybe try this during the Advent season. And so I, I would say the easiest way to do it is to set an alarm in your phone that's going to go off at, at whatever time between 11 and 2 seems convenient for you and to spend a few minutes praying. Um, I want to encourage you when the alarm goes off in your mind, stop, stop whatever you're doing, break away from whatever you're doing and, uh, and pray. It could be a really simple prayer. Just Lord, I know that you're here with me. Let me feel that you're here with me. Thank you for sustaining me through half my day. Help me to get through the other half of my day. Um, I really think the words are far less important or what you pray is far less important than the fact that you begin to build a habit of stopping other things to, to connect with God. I think the stopping is the important thing. Um, then each week, uh, each midweek during the four weeks of Advent, um, I'm, I'm going to be down here and we're just going to invite anyone who can. I know not everybody can because you have jobs and stuff, but um, I, I, I thought if we're all trying to pray at midday together, then maybe midweek, midday, we could try to pay together for whoever can make it down here midweek, midday. So on Wednesdays at noon, uh, we'll be down here praying uh, here in the auditorium. Um, and I just want to invite you to come down here during the week's Advent and join me in prayer. Um, so, uh, yeah, let me pray and then we'll let you take some time to discuss in groups some questions. Lord, uh, we just really believe that uh, the stories in Scripture are here to give us inspiration on on how to live, to give us revelation of who Jesus is and how to walk in the steps of our master, our teacher, and how to be like him. Um, we believe that if it was worth it for him to go up the mountain to pray, it's worth it for us too. And we just confess that as a people, probably to a person, we really struggle um, to make time for that kind of thing. We really struggle to have a meaningful and significant prayer life. And so help us, Lord. As we go into this season of Advent together, we just pray that you would really help us to grow in this discipline and in our ability to, um, to set things aside and to make time for you. Um, as we take some time to talk with one another, make time for each other, we just ask that your spirit would lead our conversations, inspire us, and then when we come together to gather at the Lord's table to finish the service, uh, we just look to you to make these moments meaningful and to bring revelation of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.